Well, the focus of our worship today has been the church and especially the offices and the government of the church as we celebrate the ordination of a new deacon. Our songs, our readings, our catechism service have all celebrated the continuing work of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior in the church today. Uh, Psalm 87 has been ringing in my ears this week. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of our God. Our New Testament lesson today presents to us a powerful image of Christ laying the foundations of his church, the city he founded. Christ giving us deacons as a gift for our care, for our concern. And so let's read together and note uh, the merciful provision of our Savior for every uh, last need of his little children, for our bodies and our souls. And you will see in the worship bulletin, I'm going to take a slightly different approach and and look at uh, a list of things we can learn from this, of seven things in particular about uh, deacons and the office of deacons as it is established here in Acts chapter 6. This is God's word. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint By the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Thus far the reading of the word of the Lord. Join me in our prayer for illumination. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And ask you to give us your spirit so that we may understand the fullness of your truth. Amen. Please be seated. Well, our outline is in the bulletin. Um, It's not really an outline so much as a list. First, Christ established the office of deacon, Christ himself. Second, Christ loves the needy Christian. Third, godly men are appointed to this office. Fourth, Christ gives deacons by his spirit through the church. Fifth, deacons are leaders in the church. They lead the church in its love of neighbor. Sixth, deacons love and focus on the church. And seventh, deacons speak the word. Well, moms and dads, we have a few of them here with us today. Our recent snowfall has reminded us uh, that we still have a thing called winter in the Washington metro area. And as much fun as it can be uh, playing with your kids in the snow, building a snowman, maybe doing some sledding. It does lengthen the checklist of things you need to make sure your kids have on their body before they walk out the door. Shoes and gloves and scarves and hats. The checklist of things that they can lose when they're out there. 
And of course, this mental checklist, depending on the ages of your parents, there's still a checklist that just the items change, whether your daughter's driving to high school or your kids are going out to make a snowman. Um, it's the same list that parents have in their hearts and in their heads every day. Have I, have I given my child what they need to survive, to thrive in the world? Um, are they prepared? Do they have lunch? Do they have their assignments? Do they have their books? And the task uh, changes, but it continues. And one of the precious comforting truths of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is that we have been adopted as children by a merciful and loving Heavenly Father. He is patient and kind and long-suffering, and he wants his children to enjoy all their many blessings. He has prepared for us on this this model of, of Moses and Exodus, right? He has prepared to take us from a place of slavery and bondage, a place of servitude and hard labor, to a place of rest. To a land of abundance, a land flowing with milk and honey. He provides everything for us that we need. Not only our souls, but also our bodies. Our only comfort in life and in death is not only, as we confess in our catechism, that all my sins have been paid for with Christ's precious blood. And that we've been delivered from the tyranny of the devil. But also, as our catechism reads, that he watches over me in such a way... That not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. And that all things work for my salvation. I'm guessing that we probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about deacons in the church. Um, We probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about our local church as one of the things that we need in life. As a necessity for living and, and growing in our faith well. Right up there with food, shelter clothing. Uh, We probably think, if we think at all, that deacons are the guys that take up the offerings. Maybe they organize some stuff. And in fact, many of you, young and old today, might not even really have a clue. What do the deacons do? Why do we have this office in the church? Maybe you've never interacted with them. Well, in Acts chapter 6, we see Christ giving the gift of deacons to the church. And this is a gift designed to make sure that each and every one of us is provided what we need. And it's fitting that we remember today, brothers and sisters, that Christ is just as active in giving us a particular deacon, Liam, whom we have just ordained, as he was in giving those seven to the church in Jerusalem. Christ is still ruling and reigning in his church by his spirit. He's caring for his church, which he founded. And I want to uh, look through this list of, of seven things we can learn about deacons from this passage. This appointment of the seven. Uh, and try to, to move as quickly through this list because our, our ordination form was also a, already a, a mini-sermon in it of itself. So first, Christ established the office of deacon. He not only creates the office of deacon as a necessary part of his church's constitution, which we see today, but he fills this office. So he gives deacons in, in terms of giving the diaconate and giving men to fill it. Now, it's important that we flip back a few pages so you don't think I'm just sort of waxing uh, metaphorical here or spiritual. But look with me at the very beginning of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And this is an important theme in Luke's history of the church. Luke writes, in the first book, O Theophilus, he's referring to his gospel, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through his Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The words here, the key words here are all that Jesus began to do and teach. The gospel is the start of Jesus's work. And the history of the church is the continuation of that work. You see, he's working through his apostles, through the Holy Spirit. And this is the kingdom of God. Jesus is continuing to work in our midst. A few examples are soon apparent. In chapter 3, we see Peter healing. And how is he healing? Why is he healing? He's healing in the name of Jesus. And there's quite a bit of focus here on, on, on how Peter heals in the name of Jesus. He's asked, by what power or by what name did you do this? In the name of Jesus. Jesus is healing through his apostles in the church. And this name isn't a magical incantation. It's the source, the authority, the power by which the healing is taking place. After his arrest, he's questioned by the high priest. And uh, the, the people, Peter prays after he's beaten and released. And he says, and now, Lord, look upon the threats of the high priest and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. It's the word of Jesus that is being spoken in the church. While you stretch out your hand to heal. It is God's hand that is being stretched out in the church. The signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's what it means when we say in the name of Jesus. By his authority, by his power, God is working by his spirit in our midst. The Lord stretches out his hand to heal in the hands of the apostles, in the hands of the church. And while Acts 6 does not identify these seven men as deacons, it doesn't use that term. It uses two terms, two words based on the same Greek root. The word for deacon or diakonos, servant. The words translated in the daily distribution, the daily service of the tables is the word diakonia. And uh, this was... Uh, uh, that this became a, a significant, uh, an office in the church is shown in that Luke gives us such a detailed description of how these men are chosen. And also by the fact that Philip, when he reappears in Acts later in chapter 21, is called one of the seven. So just as the 12 are called the 12, the apostles, now these seven are called the seven. They are appointed and it is and becomes a lasting office which we see perpetuated throughout the church. So Christ is, is building and growing the church's understanding of how it is to do his work in the world. And do it most effectively. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, address their letter to all the saints who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. He addresses the deacons as a subset of people in the church at Philippi, along with the elders or overseers. And of course, in 1 Timothy 3, which we read this morning, uh, the deacons are an office that is assumed in the life of the church. Christ himself is working in Acts 6 to grow the church's understanding of how to govern and rule itself. And that is a comfort to us today, brothers and sisters. Jesus showers his gifts upon us today. Second point, God and his Savior, Jesus Christ, loves needy Christians. God loves the needy. It is telling that this momentous development in the life and structure of the church, the creation of a new job description, is triggered 
by the plight of foreign-born women, of widows, the most vulnerable members of this society. It is a, a lie, a horrible lie, dear Christian, that the Bible or the Christian faith is a patriarchal or anti-woman uh, document. Do not believe the lie that it is anti-immigrant, that it is about the preservation of, of earthly, national, or racial, ethnic purity or unity. No, Jesus is deeply troubled by the hunger, the disturbance of Greek-speaking widows in Jerusalem. The hungry, the weak, the needy. And we read this in our forum. He says in the words that he's going to speak when he comes in judgment. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison and you came to see me. Those are the words of our Savior, our King. As he comes on the day of judgment. The most majestic Son of God. Lord of the cosmos can say this because in his incarnation, he took the form of a servant. He had been hungry. He had been thirsty. He'd been an outcast and a stranger. He'd been pursued by mobs that picked up rocks to stone him. He died a prisoner at the mercy of soldiers as he was nailed to a cross and was executed as a criminal. And he is present they are representatives of him. He is present in the needy today, present to us, that we might have love and serve our risen Lord here on earth, that we might show our gratitude for his work in saving us. And of course, this concern for the needy is not new. It's not an innovation of the New Testament. It runs all throughout the Old Testament. I know many of us have uh, uh, phone apps, Bible apps on our phone. And if you type in fatherless, you'll get a bunch of passages about how God is the father of the fatherless. Those are orphans. And in Deuteronomy, you get a number of instructions. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. When you gather the grapes, you shall not strip it. It shall be for the fatherless, the sojourner, the widow. When you have finished paying the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of your tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may eat and be filled in your towns. And when you feast, Deuteronomy 16, you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that are within your towns. When you enjoy a celebration, when you eat a fine meal, it should be open. While this kind of legislation is not unheard of in the ancient world, some concern for the downtrodden. What we find in, in God's law in Israel is an incredible focus on this. Such that anyone in the ancient world, if they had the means, would go to Israel to be well cared for. These protections were granted not through a state apparatus, through individual generosity, through families, through the temple, through the synagogue. And this is not an argument for, for national welfare or distribution of property. But a moral duty of all mankind. This is how you show the love of neighbor. And that love reflects the love of God. The prophets warn about Israel being driven to exile. Largely because they failed to do. What they were commanded to do in these laws. Brothers and sisters for your comfort today. On this second point. We live in a world that celebrates wealth. And power and prestige. The love of Christ is countercultural. 
He cares about the weakest and the most vulnerable, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. Please remember in this wealthy society, the wealthiest among us as well. Maybe you think we don't, we don't have a lot of benevolence needs in our congregation, right? But we all go through times of need. We go through illness. We go through distress. Maybe despair or depression. Maybe we lose a job. We might have provision to get through a few months. But there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. We all can be needy. We can all be vulnerable. So we have abundant needs in our midst. And we are called to live this love of Christ for our neighbors. The third point. And I'm mindful of the fact that if I go through all seven points at the pace I just went through the first two. This would go a little bit long. Those were the two meatiest ones. But the third point We'll move more quickly. Christ gives us deacons by his spirit and through his church. We tend to pit the work of Christ, the work of God's spirit against the work of men or the work of institutions. We tend to think that the spirit is something that happens spontaneously. That is something that overflows uh, from within, from the interior. But what we see here is that Christ actually works through the institution of his church. Luke provides a good deal of information in this brief passage. We are told that the disciples were increasing in number. And estimates range in the church. Uh, we, we heard that there were 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Some time has passed. That there are somewhere from seven to 10,000 baptized believers in Christ in Jerusalem at this time. And in this group, there are Hellenists and Hebrews. Many Jews had come back to Jerusalem from uh, being scattered around the Mediterranean. They spoke a different language. They lived a different culture. But they came back to worship in Jerusalem and to live there. And so you had two different cultures living side by side. It was not uncommon for pious Jews to form communities and to gather there. And as the church grew, uh, the sharing of all things, as Acts chapter 2 said, that, that all their possessions were distributed to anyone who had any need. It became more and more challenging. Think of it, thousands and thousands of people. And the word here that a complaint arose reminds us of the grumbling of Israel in the wilderness. It's not clear that the the complaint is well founded. Our, Our form for ordination actually presumes that it was, that some weren't being well served. But we don't know. What we do know is that there is a division within the church. The twelve were involved with the serving of tables. And they had become a bottleneck. To its being well done. They had been disrupting the unity of the church. And notice how the twelve responded. They summoned the full number of disciples. Ten thousand people. That's a pretty big uh, gathering. Maybe they were all invited. Maybe representatives came. Remember on this pattern of Old Testament representation. Elders came. Right? And he gives them. The apostles. The twelve give a theological justification. It is not right. That we should give up preaching the word of God. To serve tables. There is room for the church to grow and adapt to its particular circumstances. That's one of the lessons we could draw here. But it is uh, this gift of a diaconal office is also a gift of a distinct pastoral office. It's a gift of of a distinct preaching office. Deacons free up other officers, pastors, to proclaim the word of God. And they instruct the body to pick out from among yourselves seven men. Now, this process would have taken some time, some deliberation of a crowd that size. Nominations, discussion, elections. Good repute here is men of good testimony. This is the same word for martyr, from which we get martyr, good witness. And it's interesting that in the next chapter, Stephen will become the first martyr. 
He will seal his witness with his blood. But notice what happens. This isn't just congregationalism. This isn't just members of the church electing people to serve as their deacons. Because the elders, the apostles, as it were, say, we will appoint the men you choose to this duty. It is the twelve representing the spiritual leadership of the church that ordain and appoint to the office. Their authority comes from Christ through the apostles. And our first vow this morning that we heard Liam give assent to was, Do you feel in your heart that you are lawfully called by God's church and therefore by God himself to your holy office? Liam did not win a popularity contest. He always votes against himself, by the way. Um, So, you know, that says something about his popularity. No, Liam didn't win a popularity contest. He's not the most important among us. We believe that through our body, through this process, the process of our leadership nominating recommendations and suggestions made by members, an election that God himself, his Holy Spirit, was putting a call on him to serve. This is the same word that Jesus uses in the parable of the talents. When the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. I will appoint you. And Christ himself is doing that today. Brothers and sisters, Christ builds the church he loves, he founded. And he's working in that way in our midst today. God be praised. Fourth, godly men are appointed to this office. Uh, Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. Some people believe that in ordination, Liam is given a special chrism or a gifting. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that there is a sacrament that clergy, that officers in the church, priests alone participate in. The sacrament of holy orders. That is not what we believe we have done today. We haven't given Liam a sacramental grace Or a gospel blessing that all of us don't receive. We have rather uh, publicly set him apart to a task. We have given him a responsibility. He has been set in a place of authority. And this has been granted to him from God. So he is now Christ's servant in a unique and special way for this congregation. And he joins Conrad and I as men accountable to this body and to God in a special way. Our Belgic Confession of Faith teaches that Liam didn't promote himself. He didn't campaign for this office. God called him to this office. And so what we have done is recognize a certain base level of propriety and gifting, aptitude for this work. We serve in God's house, Psalm 84, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Elder and deacon, as Paul says in 1 Timothy, are a noble calling. We should desire them to serve in this way. But we wait on the Lord to put his call upon us. Fifth, deacons are leaders. They lead the church in love. What do I mean by that? It is clear that the apostles were not waiting on the tables of 10,000 people. Right? The apostles were responsible for this up until Acts 6. And they said, we can't manage even this responsibility anymore. There clearly was some delegation taking place. And so what we see here is another order of delegation where where the deacons, and again, seven deacons are not enough to care for the whole city of Jerusalem for five to 10,000 souls. The seven weren't going to be able to personally serve all the widows, but they were now in charge of seeing that it got done. They were responsible for coordinating the ministry of the church, the care of its church for its own. The work of service is shared by the body. 
It is the ministry that is put on all of us, but in a special way, Liam and Conrad are now called to serve this church and coordinate our needs. This includes leading the congregation by identifying our giftedness, talking to us, understanding how each and every one of us can serve one another, modeling their service, that others would be encouraged to join in, taking responsibility, ensuring that the work gets done. Also reporting and tracking and faithfully accounting for it. That we can stand accountable on the day of the Lord. We make reports. We let one another know that the job, the work is getting done. Bottom line, we don't appoint officers to do all the work for us. In Reformed and Presbyterian churches, we speak often of how important officers are to the well-being of the church. And sometimes there can be a confusion that we don't care about what everyone else in the church does. That's not the case. Liam is now appointed to a task of engaging the whole church in faithful neighbor love in our congregation. This is why Hebrews says, appoint to those leaders that I have placed over you. Liam is now a leader in benevolence and congregational care. God showers his gifts on us through the division of labor in the body of Christ. And two final closing points. Deacons focus their work on the church. In the last few centuries, the church has been swamped by a vision of, of service, which tends to look out at society and see the church as an agent of change in our culture. The social gospel in the early part of the 20th century, the temperance movement, anti-slavery, again, wonderful, remarkable movements. But all of those movements had the impact of, of giving the church the idea that we exist to serve the world and we do in our neighbors. But the diaconate here is portrayed and throughout the New Testament as caring for the household of God. The church is the new society. The church is the foretaste of heavenly glory. The provision of all needs for everyone who is a member of the body of Christ is a work of the gospel. It's not a work of the law. We don't mandate the reorganization of society because in the church we give joyously out of gratitude. And that's how needs are met. The diaconate in the church is not an instrument of transforming this world. It is a glimpse of the world to come. And so the service of our officers are called primarily to care for our congregation. Let me give one example. Uh, The widows in 1 Timothy 5 says, Honor widows who are truly widows. That sounds kind of harsh, (laughs) right? What do you mean? A widow is not truly a widow? What does he mean? He says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn how to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. So some widows can be cared by their own family. The church has a special care, a special list of widows that she cares for. And he actually talks about, he says, let a widow be enrolled. You had to get on a list. If she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, devoted herself to every good work. So the care of the widows in the church is the care of Christian widows. And he says, finally, in closing in this section, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, in other words, unbelievers, let her care for them. We don't bring in every single widow in the whole of Washington, D.C., Paul writes, let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those 
who are truly widows. Again, widows in her midst, on her rolls, in need. The church is a glimpse of heaven. It is a transformed entity within our world, not an agent of transforming our world, which will ultimately be transformed on the day of Christ's return and glory. Seventh and finally, deacons speak the word. The appointment of the seven demonstrates that mercy ministry is essential, necessary for the very being of the church, not just its well-being. We need to join the ministry of the word with the care of bodies, souls and bodies go hand in hand. But it also demonstrates that while mercy ministry may be important and essential, the word ministry is central. The apostles need to attend to the work of preaching. And if caring for tables distracts them from that, we need to address that issue. And that's what Christ does. The theological principle behind the diaconate is that the apostles need to focus on prayer and preaching. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve on tables. In other words, caring for the needy is necessary, but the word is central. Service and benevolence can knit a church together. But our fundamental unity comes from the gospel. The unity we have in Christ. That's where the gratitude comes from that drives Christian service. Christian mercy can't come without the Christian gospel. And it is necessary for recipients of God's grace in Christ to understand how and why this grace is coming to them. Brothers and sisters, it might be hard for you to envision how you might need the benevolence of our church. Uh, We live in an age where it might be humbling to take assistance or a handout. But in the understanding of the New Testament, it is a blessing. We all come to God as needy sinners. We call come with empty hands. And so when we need benevolence, when we need service, when we need the family of God to come around us, to feed us, to care for us, maybe to give us emotional support. Um, You know, many of us, so many of us, are young adults who are living away from home, away from family in this city. Call on the deacons to move, to coordinate a, a truck, to help you do this. One of the things we've done over the last year is help carry boxes when people are moving. See Reese, we see the Vanessas, right? We had a number of moves this just this past year. Get used to viewing the church as your family. I know it's hard. We're used to anonymity. I go on Sunday, that's good enough, Pastor. We're a family here to care for one another. And receiving the care of the family of God is a part of receiving the gospel. And that's what I said during the reading of our law. The fourth commandment is a reminder that we were slaves in Egypt. We were needy. We were in bondage. And God rescued us. And so we are to care for those who are needy. And the deacons bring this word. They connect this service to the word of the gospel. Notice what the closing verse here says. And the word of God continued to increase. The tables were being fed, so the word of God increased. The number of disciples multiplied greatly, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. The appointment of the deacons liberated the word to continue growing. The division of labor, as it were. And note what follows. The very next section, and Luke does this on purpose. Accusations arise against Stephen, one of the named seven. In the course of his duties, he's been speaking about the gospel. Well, you're saying something about Moses, about the law. You're saying something about the temple. Yeah, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. 
And what follows is the longest recorded speech in the book of Acts. It's Stephen, a deacon. And he gives a master class in redemptive history, how Christ fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. And he becomes the first martyr, the man of good witness, of good repute, lays down his life. He seals his service with his blood. We see the same thing in the following chapter, chapter 8, with Philip, who becomes an evangelist, who baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. The deacons bring physical comfort, but they bring spiritual comfort as well. They bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is their job to proactively, I'm looking at both our deacons now, know the needs of the body, reach out, ask, and draw you in, not only to receiving, but also to giving, that we might function as a healthy, unified body. One Lord, one faith, one Christ. Let's pray. Merciful God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care for your church. We thank you that you care for our material needs and that the generosity, Lord, in our church, through many trials and tribulations, you have always blessed us with abundant material blessings. We pray that we would use these blessings wisely. We pray that there would be no needy in our midst. And we pray that even as we secondarily turn to the needs of the world outside us, as we turn to our neighbors in the world, we would give and present an image of the beauty and the glory of heavenly Zion. Lord, this abundance that you have stored up for your people and that that abundance might overflow. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy, for caring for us, for governing us, for leading us, that we might, in truth, speak your word, that our hands might bring healing as your hands bring healing to your people. Bless us, dear Lord, as we are fed now at your table by the hands of your servants. Fill us up with the crucified and risen Lord that we may be made more and more after his image till he return in glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.